Today, we'll be continuing our current sermon series, Extraordinary Love. Well, good morning. We're so glad each and every one of you is here with us this morning. My name is Joe. I serve as one of the pastors here at Riverbend. want to extend a special welcome to all of our first-time guests, whether you're a first-time guest here with us in person or online. But we're glad each and every one of you is here with us this morning. On Friday, I received news that Matt Kay, who was scheduled to speak this Sunday, was not going to be able to speak and preach this week. So unfortunately, you're stuck with me. You're stuck with me uh, delivering today's message. And we actually collaborated on today's sermon. And we are so grateful for the teaching team that we have here at Riverbend. And today we are are continuing a teaching series that we've been journeying through through the book of Hosea called Extraordinary Love, Extraordinary Love. And as we think about extraordinary love, one of the things that has come to my life over these last six years is a love for my little man named Ray. And there's something about my guy Ray that I just am so grateful not only for the gift that he is to me, answer of of many many of your prayers because of amy and i's battle with infertility and not only our battle with infertility but then all the health stuff that ray had early on in his life the many procedures surgeries and over these last several weeks with ray one of the things that's been happening is there's been this bond forming to him and and from him to me in ways that we always share as as I'm his father, and he's my son, but in a unique way in the sense that there's time that he wants with me that normally would have been reserved for his mom. And here's an example of it. Recently, as he's trying to wind down and get ready for bed, he wants to snuggle with me. That is huge for Ray. Because for many, many years, that was not happening. He's like, your beard, it's too gruff, you know, whatever. You know, he has all these things, you know. Uh, you know, you're not as, as calm as mom is, right? I have that natural hyperactivity pulsating through me. Even when I'm not doing anything or saying anything, people are like, that guy has a lot of energy. I just know it. He comes in the room, the energy goes up. And it goes from just that to, to things like when I'm coming here, and he's like, I want to join you. I want to come. I want to, I want to be where you are. I want to go where you're going. And it can be little things or big things. He just wants to be a part of that with me. And all the energy that my son has and all the adventures that we share together, there are moments when I look at him like this was after VBS. He was totally tired, exhausted. But normally, Ray does not nap like this, right? This is him in his bed. (laughs) He doesn't nap usually, and if he's going to nap, it's very short-lived, and it's not in his bed. But when I look at him like this as a six-year-old, it reminds me of what he was like early on in his life. It reminds me of this picture of his first birthday celebration before he could walk and really talk and, and as I look at him, I'm like, wow, this is my son. He's growing, but I still see that little guy. I still see that little guy and that affection that I have for him and that love that I have for him continues to grow. It continues to grow. And, and one of the things that you hear when you go through the book of Hosea 
is you hear all kinds of language describing God's heart for his people. Uh, God calls himself a husband, but he calls the people of God an unfaithful wife. This is one example that is used here. He, he calls them doves that would fly away from God, fly away from their heavenly father. He tells them, hey, I've, I've made you in a way like a dove, but you keep flying away from me. He, he talks about how he made them a vine that would produce much fruit, but it would be short-lived because it wasn't staying connected to the father. And today what we're going to hear is his heart as a father. We're going to hear his heart as a father for these people, the people of Israel, specifically in the northern kingdom. And as you hear it, you're going to hear affection and grief. You're going to hear affection and grief. Just like I have affection for my son, I'm grieved when there are things in his life that he's missing out what God has for him, areas that he needs to grow in. Or I'm grieved when, as I'm sure it's never happened to any of, these, any of the parents out here, where at times I misplace my son briefly, right? I'm out and about, and I'm like, Ray? I just turned around. He's gone. Where's Ray? You know, and that panic sets in. You're like, oh, where is he? Oh, my God. Have you seen Ray? Have you seen Ray? Huh? And then all of a sudden he shows up, and there's relief. But whenever <laughs> you misplace that special someone, your son or daughter, there is a panic, there is a concern, because you want to make sure they're not in harm's way, that something hasn't happened to them, or that someone hasn't taken them. And you're going to hear, in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, God's heart for his people in that way, as a father. Again, a great affection and great grief at the same time. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up with me. We're going to be in Hosea chapter 11, Hosea chapter 11. And as, as we get to Hosea chapter 11, I want you to just think about this question as we go through it today. How extraordinary is the love of a good parent? How extraordinary is the love of a good parent? And we know as great as we may be as parents or good parents that we see, there's one who's perfect, and that's our Heavenly Father. And I just want you to start thinking about it in those ways. And as we hear his heart, I want to start by what is said throughout this passage and chapter by looking at verse 8. It says this, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zebom? My heart recoils within me. And as you look at these, this language here, what he's talking about, he's talking about the northern kingdom. He's talking about what happened within their departure from God. He's like, how can I give you up? How can I walk away from you, even though you've walked all far away from me? How can I hand you over, O Israel? And as you hear what he's saying, he then talks about these two cities that experienced God's judgment that were during the times of Sodom and Gomorrah. So when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, these two other cities that were right by them, right by it, was destroyed as well. And he says, how can I treat you like this? You're my child. How can I treat you in this way? He says, my heart recoils within me. You hear 
the inner anguish of God the Father. You hear his desire, his desire for his children. And you hear not only his desire, but his pursuit of them in the midst of that. And so as we continue on reading through Hosea 11, what I want to do is I just want to take a moment and I want us just to pray together and ask God to speak to us as we need to hear his voice. Let's pray together. Father, right now, we are grateful for your love for us and we're thankful that your love is both tender and tough. We thank you that you are God who is affectionate towards us and you grieve when we wander away from you. You're grieved when we are lost, when we leave what it is that you have created and designed each and every one of us for. And so right now, God, I pray that you would just speak as only you can speak. I pray, Father, right now that you use my words to magnify your word, to lift you up, Jesus. And Lord, I'm grateful again that as we journey with you and as we walk with you, we're invited in to know you and to make you known. We are just so grateful for the good gift that is found through you by what Jesus has done for us and by the power of the Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we ask for you to have your way in our lives this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, as we continue on here, I want us to hear again that heart of a parent. Listen to what it says here. It says, starting in verse 1, it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me, and they, they sacrificed to the bells, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. Listen to this anguish. Listen to this heart. Listen to what he's saying. He's like, I'm the one who called you out. First of all, I'm the one who formed the nation of Israel. So it starts there. But then when you were enslaved in Egypt, I called you out as my son. I called you towards freedom. But he says, the more I called you, the more you walked away. I'm the one who taught you to walk. I gave you the legs, first of all, to walk, and then I taught you to walk, but now you're using those legs to walk away from me. You're walking in the other direction away from me. And it's like when you're trying to get the attention of somebody, and no matter how many messages you send their way, they're not responding. And after a while, you draw the conclusion, they don't want a relationship with me, right? Right? Whether that's a text message, right? You send like 15 text messages, and you're like, hey, I'm just checking, and hey, did you get my last text message? Hey, are we going to get, and nothing, radio silence. And after a while, you're like, all right, there's something probably happening here. They're not just not wanting to respond. Actually, I think there's something maybe deeper happening here. They don't want a relationship. And in this way, the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, Ephraim here, was saying, hey, we know what you've done, but we're choosing to go our own way. We're going to go to the, the altar of Baal. And, and really what's so important to understand in this context, to go to the altar of Baal, to sacrifice, to worship Baal, the, the god Baal, 
was really to say, I have needs that are real and practical. I have needs for food. I have need for provision. I have needs for crops. But to believe this God, this God who was the God over uh, seeing things be fertile, uh, agriculturally growing, thriving. This is how this this God was used in, in Syria and other places as well. They would say, hey, this is the God that will provide that. And so the nation of Israel started to believe that. They forgot the one who called them out of Egypt. But this would lead to them then sacrificing to Baal. And how they would do that is they would go into the shrines within the temples of Baal, and then they would have sex with a temple prostitute to ensure that they were following what Baal had laid out for them. And so to think about this in our context, we have needs, we have real needs that need to be met, but there are ways that we can meet them outside the bounds of God. And we know sexuality-wise that God has a vision. He has boundary lines that he's drawn for us, not to hinder us, but for our flourishing and the flourishing of others as well. That's why when you talk about sexuality and you talk about sex and and the specific gift that it is, it's designed for a covenant relationship between one woman and one man for the rest of their life. It's not meant to be shared outside of those confines. And when it happens, it doesn't lead to our flourishing or others flourishing or to multiplication the way it's intended. It causes, it causes great harm. They, they often link sex to this illustration of fire. And how many of you guys have been doing some campfires this summer? Campfire, anybody been doing fires in the backyard, right? Maybe not this week because it's so hot for some of us, right? We're like, yeah, no, no thanks for a fire. But you know, as you think about having a fire outside, you know, there's, there's a reason why you have boundary lines for how you're going to make this fire, right? There's reasons why there's ways in which it's meant to be made, right? That you're going to use the wood that's there. You're going to make it in such a way that it's going to allow for the wood to be kindled and that the fire is going to go. But you wouldn't just say, hey, you know what? There's some grass over here. Why don't I start a fire right here, right? Like that may work. <laughs> What's that going to do? right? That's, it's going to burn your grass eventually, maybe start a fire, right? Or burn close to ways in which it could hurt or hinder your home, right? There's a fireplace, you know, yes, I'm going to put the fire in the fireplace. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to try to start a fire on top of the stove, right? We're not going to do that. We're not going to have a fire just on the stove beyond just if we're trying to cook, that's another thing, right? But a fire that's un contained, right? We have boundaries for it because if we don't, it's going to burn the whole house down. It could hurt not only the home, but the people in the home. In the same way, God's boundary lines for us are for our benefit and the benefit of others. This gift of sex in this context was meant to be used and for us as well in a certain confines and boundary lines for our benefit and the benefit of others. But the nation of Israel, again, were missing God's provision, his care, the way he loved them, how he was the one who took them by the arms. But they didn't realize it was him who healed them. They didn't realize, they didn't recognize that he was the one that was the healer. And I want you to think in your own life, do you see him as the great healer in your own life? 
Because it's so easy and tempting to forget who he is and what he's done for us and what he has for us. Well, as we continue on here, it says this. It says, I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt? And will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to what? what they, what's the word? They refuse to repent. A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets, and I will put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even they, though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them or be exalted by them is another way to say that. So they're, they're calling me God, of, God most high, but they're not truly exalting me, like who I am. And so as you think about this, he says, hey, I've led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love, this tenderness, this tenderness that, that God has for these people, like a parent, right? To them, I, I was like one who lifts them, lifts a little child to the cheek, to my cheek. Again, this tender, tender care. But what do they do? They go back to the place where they were enslaved by, Egypt. They go back to the people who had enslaved them, thinking, if I go back there, there will be freedom. They have what we do not have. And eventually what it leads to is that the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, will experience the judgment of God by means of the Assyrians. They will overtake them. And even in that, it's not only just judgment in the sense of walking away from God and continuing to run the other way from him, even though he's inviting them in, it's also a sense of saying, because you refused to follow what I have for you, there's no other way for me to get your attention. You keep running the opposite direction, no matter what signs, wonders, people that I use to communicate what it is I have for you. You refuse to listen. You refuse to follow what it is that I have for you. But I don't want you to miss this. He's heartbroken over this. He's not relishing in this. He's not like, oh, you're going to get what you deserve, right? That's not how he views this. This is not how our Father in Heaven views us. Rather, there's this tender, compassionate love where there's this grief at the same time. He's grieved over what's going on. He's calling them back. He has something for them. And yet they keep going back to a way of life that's outside of what he's intended for them. Well, as we continue on here, I was reminded from my, my good friend Matt Kay as we were collaborating on this message of this quote from John Ortenberg. It simply says this, Sin is often an attempt to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Sin is often an attempt to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And so when you think about this for the nation of Israel, we saw this very clearly. They had needs. They, they needed food on the table. They needed provision. They needed income. Those are real needs, right? The, no one's arguing whether those are needs or not. Those are legitimate needs. But how did they seek to get those needs met? outside of God's design, outside of his vision for them. 
Now, I want us to take a step back. What legitimate needs do we have? And how are we trying to meet them in illegitimate ways? So again, here's the question. How might you be trying to meet the legitimate needs of your life in an illegitimate way? How are you doing that right now? How are the ways that you look at your needs specifically? Because again, we do need food on the table, but how may we be trying to meet that need apart from what God says of us and has for us? We do need provision, financially speaking. How may you be trying to meet that in a way that's outside of what he has for us and has designed us for and created us for? We, we have a need. We have a need to, to get things done and to, to make things happen and to move things forward. But is there a way that we're doing that that's causing us to live in a constant state of worry and anxious way of life that is apart from trusting and walking with him and what he has for us? We have a legitimate need to be loved and accepted and valued, but is there an illegitimate way that we're trying to have that need met? Is there an illegitimate way that we're doing that, whether that's through relationships outside of the vision that we've talked about that God has designed the covenant of marriage is that through even the things that we're posting on social media to get attention and get people's approval and affirmation is there a way that we're doing that in our work environment I want you to be thinking about this because this is at the heart of this it's one thing to be like oh see what the northern kingdom is doing no we need to see ourselves in that. We need to look in the mirror. We need to have a chance to take inventory in our own lives as well. And as we continue on here, I want you to know as we read through what Hosea is being told and what God has spoken through him to the northern kingdom, this is so important that we don't miss this, that true love calls us out and calls us home. True love calls us out and calls us home. Right now, we live in a loveless culture in society. We really do. And there's a lot of people that love to call others out. We just love to call them out. They love to say, hey, remember when you did this or said this? And they call them out. And there's a time and a place where people do need to be called out, where we need to be called out. And then there's people who say, no, no, no. We just need to call people back to what God has for them call them back home, call them back to what they were created for. But really, when you read through this, God is doing both. God the Father, right? He's he's calling them out, and he's calling them home. He's doing both. He's doing both, and Jesus does both, right? Jesus is full of grace and truth. And so we need to be a people who really live this way, because in this time, it's so tempting to pick one or the other. We would say not and, we would put an or often. True love calls us out or calls us home. But that is so anti who Jesus is and the work that he wants to do in our lives because he's calling us back to something. And when we say call us home, he's calling us to experience what it is that he himself has accomplished on our behalf. But we need people who hold the tension of both of these things. This is what followers of Christ are attempting are designed and, and are, should be attempting to live out in their lives, even when they get it done and do it imperfectly. 
even when we don't get it all the time right. We need to be doing that. We need to be people that do that, that call out in love and call people home. And I'm grateful to be in a community where we can do that. We can do that together. I'm thankful to have a community in my wife where she's often lovingly calling me out, not to shame me or blame me, but calling me to something and calling me home. Hey, hey, your, your attitude on this thing, your perspective on this thing, you're being a little short and unkind here. I need to hear those things, right? Because she knows me well, and she's lovingly giving me a warning. And that warning actually happened this morning. So I'm grateful for it, right? We need those types of things in our lives. We need people, again, who are going to call us out and call us home. We are, in, we are designed to be those types of people in our own lives, but also as we are a reflection of who this Jesus is to the world. Again, we need to be about both. And as we think about that, I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Galatia. Listen to what it says here in Galatians 5, 16 and 17 and 19 through 21. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, intimacy, uh, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And as we read that list, we're like, wow, I've been guilty of some of those things, right? We all have been. The point of what Paul's saying is, hey, we need to be a people who are walking in step with the Spirit. And we also need to know that when we are trying to meet legitimate needs in an illegitimate way, that's called sin. And we need to lovingly be able to call one another towards that. And it's easy to pick apart this list and be like, oh, I, I, there's three of those that I think are real sins. Right? When we start talking about maybe sexuality, you know, when we start talking about uh, some, of, some of those types of things, oh man, I can clearly see that. But what about jealousy? What about strife? What if you're a divisive person? Like, do you see that as sin? <laughs> you know, or envy. Those are often the sins that we're okay with. Well, oh, that's okay. You know, you just haven't, you know, that's just you being you. <laughs> what? That's not, what does it say here? Does it say that? Does it say that? It says, no, this is life apart from the Spirit. So I want you to be making sure in your own life, and as we call each other out and call each other home, we're reminded of what the vision is as we grow with the Spirit's leadership in our lives, and as we bear the fruit of the Spirit. Well, as we continue on here, it says this, how can I give you up, Ephraim, how can I hand you over Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zebium? My heart is changed within me and all my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. In other words, he's saying, 
hey, I'm not done with you. Yes, there's going to be discipline. Yes, there's going to be punishment that's coming. But I'm not done with you. I'm not giving up on you. I'm not giving up on this relationship. For I am God and I am not a man. I am the Holy One among you. And I don't want you to miss this because he is a God that has deep compassion and care for each and every one of us. Whether we're a person who needs to be called out or called home. Whatever, wherever we are, maybe we're both in some ways. He still has this deep compassion for us and deeply loves us. Again, this conflicted nature within him speaks to the heart of any good parent. But how much more perfect is the Father's love for you and for me? How much more perfect? Well, as we continue on here, it says this. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt trembling like sparrows, from Assyria fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies. Israel with deceit. And Judah is unruly against God, even against the faithful Holy One. And so as we hear this, as we hear what's to come, he says, they will follow the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm going to roar like a lion, right? I'm going to roar like a lion. This reminds me of, of Aslan, right, from Chronicles of Narnia, right? I'm going to roar like a lion. And when he roars, when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. In other words, he's going to show them his power and might and his victory. And he's, again, not done with them. He's going to call them back to him. And they will come from Egypt trembling like sparrows, from Assyria fluttering like doves. In other words, these great nations that they were looking to, to find their needs met. He's saying, hey, as great as they are, they are no match for who I am. And we hear him yet again, though, tell them, hey, you're surrounding me with lies and deceit. And lies are so, so easy to live in. It's not enough to acknowledge that we believe lies, but there are so many lies that we live. And this is what you hear all throughout the book of Hosea. He's going to this because really to live a lie in this context was to not believe that God had their best interest at heart, that he wasn't going to provide for them, that he wasn't going to protect them, that he wasn't trustworthy. But isn't that a lie that you and I believe? How about deceit? How are we deceived? And then how do we deceive others with that deceit? What are the things that we're holding on to? Because again, he's inviting them back to what they were created and designed for. They were meant to be a light to all the nations that would point to the one true God. But their light's not shining. Their light isn't reflecting his goodness, his glory, and his power and might. So as we think about this, there's a couple things that I want to state to us as we look to what it is that's been said. God's compassion yearns for and reaches out to rescue his children from their wondering. So if you're wondering, if you've been wandering away, if you've been a person who's on this rebellious run, you're a prodigal, I want you to know there's a God who's pursuing and running after you, running after me. He's never going to stop coming after us. And we cannot outrun his grace. We cannot outrun who he is and what he has for us. 
And some of us, that wondering may not be outright rebellion, but there may be parts of our lives that we're afraid to trust him with. Sometimes that's simple things in our lives that no one knows about, but our Heavenly Father, maybe those who are closest to us. Maybe for us it's an insecurity. Maybe for us it's a fear. Maybe for us it's something we're ashamed of. Maybe it's something that we've been blaming others for. There are these things in our lives that, that cause this panic within us. And God's asking us to not walk away from him, but to come to him with him, with these things, to allow our lives to be integrated before him. Again, he's a compassionate God. And to have compassion, that word, isn't just like, I feel compassionate for you. It's like, no, I actually have such compassion for you that I'm going to do something about what I'm feeling. It's actually not compassion to you act upon what it is you're feeling. It's that empathy that says, hey, I'm, I'm coming near to you and I'm walking with you through what it is that you're facing and you're going through. It's like uh, yesterday, taking my son Ray to swim class. And he didn't know we were going to swim class. He forgot that it was Saturday and Saturday swim class day. And I'm driving and he's like, why can't we stop here? I'm like, well, we're on our way to swim class. No, I don't want to go to swim class. <laughs> no, I don't want to go to swim class. No, no. And, and I'm talking to him. And um, we're talking about swim class. I'm like, it doesn't even take the long. No, it takes so long. It, it's 30 minutes, by the way. It takes so long. It's, oh, my goodness. It takes so long. And so I'm, I'm having this conversation with my son. And, and really what compassion looks like in that context, in that moment, was to tell him, hey, Ray, hey, Ray, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And it won't take that long. And sometimes in life we have to do the things we don't want to do so we can do the things that we want to do. This is how life works. Sometimes we just got to do it, man. And so we're driving, some tears finally comes around. You know, we get in the parking lot. He's like, all right, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready to do this. And then, and then he comes out of swim class and he has this certificate with a ribbon. I graduated the level. I graduated the level that I was in. I'm in the next level now. And he's so excited. I'm like, see what happens if you, didn't ha if you hadn't have gone? You would have missed the next level. <laughs> you would have missed graduating. But again, it's not giving him what he wants. It's giving him what he actually needs, right? That's compassionate. That's caring for him. That's, I want to see him flourish. He's got to learn how to swim, right? This is part of just growing up and his development. And again, I don't want you to miss this because in the midst of our compassionate God towards us, here's the truth. We do fail. Each and every one of us. We fail as sons and daughters, but there is one who didn't. There is one who didn't. And as we read through Hosea 11, starting in verse 1, when we read that, it, re it reminded me of what was said about this perfect son. And there's this image I want to show you because this image speaks to what is going to happen in the life of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus when they are called to become refugees in Egypt. And as they're called to be refugees of, in Egypt for their own safety, we read this in Matthew's account. And this is what it says here. It says in Matthew 2, 13 through 15, it says, when they had gone 
an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet Hosea, by the way, out of Egypt, I will call my son. This is Hosea 11.1 1 that is referencing here. And it's beautiful to think about it because in the midst of all that Jesus is going to endure for us and for our sake, he's the son that is called out of Egypt. See, Jesus was the son who never strayed. Jesus was the son that never strayed. We see the northern kingdom strain. We've strayed. We're imperfect. We fail. We make mistakes. We miss what God has for us. But Jesus was the son who never strayed. And I want you to know that in Jesus, what we know of him is that Jesus performed perfectly and has the pride and pleasure of his heavenly father. He did for us what we could not do. Through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, he performed perfectly. He lived the life that we could never live, and he died the death that we deserved. And he rose from the dead. He showed us what it meant to walk with his heavenly father and how we're intended to walk with our heavenly father, to commune and to be led by the spirit. He models that way of life for us. And we know he has the pride and the pleasure of his heavenly father as well. See, Jesus performed perfectly on my behalf. And in him, I have the pride and pleasure of his heavenly father. I actually want us to read this out loud on three. Okay, one, two, three. Jesus performed perfectly on my behalf and in him I have the pride and pleasure of his heavenly father. It's from this place that we're actually able to join what it is that God has for us. This is the rocket fuel behind the way of life that we're created for and intended for. This is the way that we can respond to what it is that Jesus has for us. This is how we can say, hey, I have legitimate needs, but I'm going to meet them in a legitimate way that's found in you. And I'm going to trust you and surrender, and I'm going to walk with you and believe that you have what's best for me. So as we think about this, as we consider this, there's a couple questions I want to give for you to ponder this week. First question is this, how is the Father's compassion for you in Jesus speaking to your heart this morning? What's he saying to you this morning, right now? How's he, how's he just starting to, to do some things within you? Are you trying to meet some legitimate needs in your life in an illegitimate way? How might the Lord be calling you home to have your deepest needs met in his love? Just think about this for a moment. And then the last question is this. Who might the Holy Spirit be prompting you to warn and call home to the Father's love and Christ's rescuing grace? Who's the Holy Spirit prompting you right now to again warn and call home to the Father's love and Christ's rescuing grace? I want you to just ponder that. We're going to take a moment. We're going to pray. 
And then we're going to leave these questions up. And as we have these questions up, I want to invite Drew to come on up here. Drew Dolan, come on up. And we're going to pray. Father, right now, we want to thank you for your great love for us. We just want to invite you into this space and into this place. And we want to ask that you would show us and reveal to us what it is that we need to hear, what it is that we need to see. I pray as we think about these questions, what is your compassion towards us that you're trying to speak to us? Lord, what, what are the legitimate needs in our life that we're trying to meet in illegitimate ways, Father? How are you trying to call us home to have our, our deepest longings met in, in your love? Who are you, because of your love for them and for us, asking us to warn and to call home? Lord, who... who who are those people? I pray right now we would be sensitive to the work that you want to do in our own lives as we seek to join you in what it is that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.